0: Good morning and welcome. We're so thankful that we have guests today and we appreciate that. We want you to know that you're welcome here at Midway. We want you to know that we want to get to know you and hope you'll hang around for just a little while and let us get to know you. And if you're looking for a church home, then we want you to be looking here at Midway so that we can all work together in serving our God as you look at the screen this morning, you may be asking a question, but I want to to just really shock you this morning. Did you know that the Old Testament said that God had a wife? Preacher, you got my attention. What do you mean by that? What was her name? And as you talk about that or think about that this morning, I want you to understand that she wasn't a literal wife in the way that we think about wives today. But God used the imagery of marriage in order to describe the relationship between himself and the children of Israel in the Old Testament. For example, when you turn to passages like the one found in the book of Jeremiah chapter 3 at verse 20, you begin to see some of that imagery. The Bible there says, Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me. O house of Israel, declares the Lord." And so he uses that imagery there. He had already used it in the chapter, for if you back up to verse number 14 in Jeremiah chapter number 3, the Bible says, Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. And, And the English Standard Version says, I am your master. Now, I'm not sure that that is the best translation of that word, for the word is used a number of times in the Old Testament. And three times is uh, in the English standard, only three times is it not translated with the word marriage or uh, husband or wife. And, and then when you turn to the book of, of, of the, uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 14 in the King James or the New King James, you read these words, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, I am married to you. If you're reading from the, English, or from the American Standard Version, it translates that verse in this way, Return, O backsliding children, saith Jehovah, for I am a husband to you. And so we have in the book of Jeremiah that imagery used. In the book of Malachi, chapter 2, at verse number 11, the Bible says simply there, Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and watch this, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. God pictures Old Testament Israel in this way, as having left him, As having moved on to another man, if you will, or another god, the false gods, the idolatrous gods. And uses again the imagery there, not of of being married to him, but they have left him and married another, which implies that at one time they had been married to him. So the Old Testament says, in essence, God had a wife, and that was Old Testament Israel, but then... We come to the New Testament. If you have your Bible, you may want to look in the book of Romans, chapter 7, beginning in verse number 2 there. The Bible says, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. That's all well and good, Paul, but what are you talking about? Are you just talking about husbands and wives and marriages that take place here on this earth? And the answer to that is no, I've got a, another thing in mind that I want you to understand, Paul says. He goes on and he says in verse 3, Accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with, King James, or English Standard Version says, uh, the word that's used here is used three times in this verse and translated marries in the second uh, occasion and every other time in the New Testament. She lives with or marries another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, verse 4 says, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ that you may... English standard again says belong to. It's the same word translated marries just prior to that. And that you may marry another. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. As you look at that passage, Paul simply points out that Old Testament law, that covenant between God and Old Testament Israel had died. It had been taken out of the way. It was nailed to the cross, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse number 14. And therefore, because it died, they had a right, a real right, a scriptural right, if you will, to be married to another. But Paul, who are you talking about? These people, the church, the Christians at Rome and those of us today, who are you talking about them being married to? I'm talking about them being married to another, the one that he describes in verse number 4 and says he was the one who was raised from the dead. We all know who it was. It was Christ. That law had died. Which law was it? It was the Old Testament law. How do we know that? Verse number 7 He speaks about how that that law had said that you shall not covet. And that was stated for us from the Old Testament Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Deuteronomy chapter 5, at verse 21. They had a right to be married to the new husband, the New Testament husband, the one with which they would have a new covenant. So therefore... There's no wonder then that Paul talks about that in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse number 2. When writing to the Corinthians, he put it this way. He said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Who Who was the one husband that... He had betrothed these New Testament Christians to, it was to Christ. We had, and they had, become married to Him. And so, again, when we look at another writing of the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, where he discusses marriage, uh, we see a lot of things there. Look first of all at verses 31 and 32 where Paul says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. This, this becoming one flesh thing, of a man leaving father and mother, if you will, and becoming one flesh, he said this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers... Paul, what, is, what are you talking about? Explain it to me. Tell me what you mean. Paul says, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This idea, this concept of marriage that Paul lays out beginning in verse 20 or so, back up there in chapter 5, he says this concept of a man leaving father and mother and being married to her husband becoming one flesh. He said it's a profound mystery, but I'm telling you what I'm writing about, and that is Christ and the church. And so in the Old Testament, God was pictured as marrying Old Testament Israel, having the relationship with them through the covenant of the Old Testament. And Paul says in the New Testament... Uh, you're free because that Old Testament law has died to be married to another, to the one who was raised from the dead, to Christ. And he said, I betrothed you to one husband. And then when he talks about marriage, writes about that in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, I'm telling you, this point blank, right out, I am talking about Christ and the church. And so as we look at those passages this morning, sometimes it may be that that we don't think about these kinds of things, and yet Paul says, I want you to. I want you to understand it. I want you to know something about it. And I want us to know this morning that it's an important thing for us to know and to understand some things because it helps us to understand about our world, about the religious world, about things that are going on today. In our world and the religious world. And so it is uh, worthy of of further study and coming to understand it even more. And so as we look at it then, I want you to think about again Ephesians chapter 5 in verses 22 through 30. Paul discusses the responsibilities between the husbands and the wives. Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, he talks about how husbands were to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. But, but I want you to pay close attention to that verse I read just a minute ago from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. And I want you to know that he quotes from what we read in our Bible reading this morning, what Harrison read to you. He quotes all the way back from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24. Where Moses wrote these words, he said that uh, a man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they should become one flesh. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back to the creation days. God said, I had a plan. Man and woman are going to marry. They're going to have children. They're going to replenish the earth. But this picture that I'm giving you that's living out in life it is a type that will have an anti-type in the New Testament. It's a picture that will have... It's a shadow that will have the real thing that I'm showing you in the New Testament. I'm pointing forward. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife. Paul quotes that and then says, I'm telling you about this mystery. It's referring to Christ and the church. Well, what are some of the things that we can learn about Christ and his church from God's plan for marriage? What are some of the things we can learn? Well, let's look and let's begin by thinking about simply the fact that Jesus is called the second Adam. The second Adam. Adam in the creation days being the first, but Jesus is called the second Adam. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 47, the Bible says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. The first man, Adam, is talking about Adam. The second man, Adam, is talking about Christ, the one who is that life-giving spirit. Paul would talk more about that in the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 14 and following. Beginning in verse 14, he said, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type, there's that word that I mentioned just a moment ago, who was a type of the one who was to come. He, he says, this Adam, this first man that I created, he was that shadow of the real thing that I'm talking about that would come in the New Testament. Well, Paul, who is that? If you continue reading in the book of Romans, chapter five, uh, you'll find out that he's speaking about Christ. For but the free gift, verse fifteen says, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the uh, uh, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the, uh, the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's death reigned through the, that one man... Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign through the life of one man, Jesus Christ. You've got the first Adam. You've got the second Adam being Christ. You say, well, preacher, I still don't understand. I don't know what you're talking about. You've lost me. Paul is tying the creation, Adam, with the Savior, Adam, in some way. And so we got to figure out what he's talking about, how, how it is that this relates. And remember, he, Paul connects Adam and Christ in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, Ephesians, that's where we started. What are you talking about? That first man, Adam, was the type of which Christ is the anti-type. Well, let's go farther. Let's think about the fact that that first man, Adam, had to have a mate. And the Bible talks about how God made that first Adam a a helper that was suitable, if you're reading from the English Standard Version. He he, he creates a, a woman that was a helper that was suitable for him. Now... Uh, Harrison read that for us from the book of Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 20. Uh, God created all the animals out of the dust of the ground. He brought them before Adam. Adam gave them names and he presented them to him. And yet as Adam looked at them, there was nobody there for him. And I believe that God in bringing these animals before him, God was showing Adam, hey, there's nobody here for you. And so, what happens? The Bible says that God put him to sleep. And that God took a rib from that uh, uh, Adam's side. And he fashioned a woman. And he brought her to him. But she was to be one that was suitable for him. None of the creatures that God had made were suitable to be a mate for Adam. We've all heard that. We've all studied that. We taught it in Bible classes. We learned it when we were in little bitty uh, children in Bible classes. But what does it mean? Well, let's understand. Likewise, just like with Adam, not just anyone will do for Christ. For Christ's bride must be suitable for him. Remember this idea of Adam and Eve back in the garden becoming husband and wife, one flesh? Paul says this is referring to Christ and the church. And not just, any, not just any animal, not just any of God's creation would work for Adam's helper, his mate. It had to be the right one. It had to be the right kind. And the same is true for Christ in his church. For Christ and His bride that He would have. That's why when we read in the Bible about the church, that it's to be one that's suitable for Him. In First Corinthians, or rather First Peter, chapter one, verse fifteen, Peter would write and says, "But as He who called you is holy, so you be holy, in all your conduct." You see, in order for us to be the mate of Christ that He desires and He deserves, we've got to be like Him. And how is He? He is holy. And so that's why preachers and elders and Bible class teachers teach us so often about getting our lives right and living a right kind of life in our world. When Christians don't do that, they're not acting like the bride that Christ married you see christ's bride must be suitable for him we must be holy in the book of revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 john wrote and said let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come now watch that this and his bride has made herself ready his bride has made herself. How did she get ready? Well, you know, when brides get ready today, one of the things they gotta do, it's been a long time since I got married, you know. But one of the things a bride has to do is go pick out the dress, right? You gotta get the right one. You gotta say yes to the dress. I think it's a television show. Get the right one. Some of you ladies who are about to get married, y'all may have been working on that. You know, gotta have the right one. Gotta be just right. The bride made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself... Uh-oh, we're talking about the wedding dress. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Got to have just the right dress, right? (laughs) And it's amazing. God knew that a long time ago. She was clothed herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That right living that we must do is our wedding dress that we are preparing for our husband Christ. Christ's bride must be suitable for Him. Holy and living right in this world. Not only that, but this morning as we think about God and that Adam so long ago, Christ and that Adam so long ago, God made Adam's bride from a rib from His side, right? Uh, again, there in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, we remember how God put him to sleep, caused him to go into that deep sleep, then from, a, from the side taking a rib and fashioning a woman as that suitable, suitable helper for him. All of us remember that. That story it, it is clear in our mind how God did that. But I want you to think about John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Next time you read from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, think of John chapter 19, verses 32, beginning, going through about verse 34. The Bible says, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. You may recognize this as the crucifixion scene. Those two men who were crucified, one on either side of Jesus. The soldiers came and and they broke the, the legs of the first the Bible says, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once came out blood and water. Preacher, you lost me again. Folks, Jesus is dead. It was out of this deep sleep of death that God would form the bride of Christ. And it was from the blood that issued forth from His side that He would purchase that bride. In the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. You see, it wasn't from a rib, but with the blood that flowed from Jesus' side, that Jesus' bride is formed without being baptized into His death, meeting His blood, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we can't be one with Christ. We can't become a part of His body. We can't be His bride. And so as we look at it, He formed that church. Just like He formed a body for Adam, to have as his wife for Eve to inhabit. God has formed a body to be the bride of Christ. Think about what is said into the book of, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Do you remember that forthwith came out blood and water? It's with the blood that He bought us. But it's in the watery grave of baptism that we get into that body to become the bride of Christ. Paul would say in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, about the church... Now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just as Adam and Eve became one flesh, so it is that Christ and His church have become one flesh. What do you mean by that? The Bible very clearly teaches us Christ is the head and the church is the body. We are now joined in that one Flesh representation. Not a sexual union. Sometimes when we talk about Genesis chapter two, we focus on the sexual part that is that, that is had between a husband and a wife, but there's more there. And oftentimes you'll hear me say when when I talk about that passage, yes, there's more there than just the sexual union. And that's what we're talking about today. Christ is the head, the church is the body. God formed the body from the side, from the blood of Jesus Christ. As we think about that this morning very quickly, God made only one bride for Adam, did He not? If this whole thing back here in the book of Genesis is looking forward to to the church and Christ then that may mean something. Genesis 2 verse 22, the rib that God the Lord had taken from man, He formed into a woman and brought her to the man. He, he didn't form a bunch of women and say, okay, Adam, choose which one you want. He brought One. One. God must have done pretty good because they were married for a long, long time He brought her and He said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh Jesus said the same thing in the book of Matthew chapter 19 at verse number 5 and that's what we've done Remember that we looked at earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 2, where Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. Notice that he specifies one husband to pres- present you as a pure virgin to Christ. One husband. For one wife, one man, for one woman. Some of the, I guess, teenagers now, but Joey used to do the little class. One of the things he, he said every time. How many, how many uh, 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 in marriage, God made one man for one woman for life. Likewise, God made one bride, one body, one church for Christ. You see, that's going back to look all the way back to the beginning of time. One body, one bride, one church. Seven times Paul says there's one body. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, he says it twice. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says it. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, he says it. Ephesians 2, 16, he says it. Ephesians 4, 4, he says it. Colossians 3, 15, he says it. There's one body. Three times the Apostle Paul calls that body the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Colossians 1, 18. Colossians 1, 24. But I remind you of what we read a little while ago. Ephesians chapter 5 at verse 23, "...the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church." his body and is himself its savior good friends I want you to think very carefully with me this morning does it stand to reason that there are as many churches as there are bodies looking at What Paul said, pointing back all the way to the beginning of time and saying, Adam and Eve and their marriage relationship and the husband and wife relationship, all of that is pointing to Christ and His church. Does it stand to reason that there are as many churches as there are bodies? And not only that, but does it stand to reason that Christ is going to save as many churches as he will bodies. do you remember what we read in Matthew, or rather Ephesians 5:23? He is the savior of the body, that he's going to save as many churches as he will bodies? You know, it may sound harsh to say there's one church, right? may sound hard that way. But to say Christ has more than one church is to say He has more than one bride. And that makes Christ a polygamist. If all of what we've talked about briefly this morning is true, Christ is married to the church and there's more than one then that makes Christ a polygamist. Does that make sense? Jesus does not have more than one bride. Just as Adam had one wife, the second Adam has one bride. That one bride was taken from the side of Adam and the side of Christ. And that one bride, that one body is formed first with Adam and Eve and now with Christ in His church. He is the head. We are the body. But the body is also called the bride. Also called the church. Jesus has as many churches as He has bodies. Because the body and the church are called the same and they are Seven times said to be one. But even more significant, Jesus has just as many brides as He has bodies as He has churches. And He's not a polygamist. Folks, as we close our lesson today, one thing that we need to remember, and that is this, As we pointed out in our lesson, the bride must be pure and holy, being just like the head, which is Christ. To find out what Christ wants, one must read the words that He gave us, the Scriptures. In our lives, including our worship, the way that we live outside of the church building, And all of the things that we do must be in accordance with the will of our husband as the church, as our head, as the body. Amen. I want you to know this morning that Christ will always be faithful to you. A faithful maid, a faithful husband if you will. But we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, As His bride, will we be faithful to Him? As His body, will we be faithful to Him? As His church, will we be faithful to Him? Jesus is not a polygamist today. The thing about it is, we need to ask ourselves, am I a part of that church, that body, that bride of Christ? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If not, then you need to. Why? Well, we want our sins to be washed away, but baptism is what puts us into Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 27. Verses 26, beginning, for as many of you, or verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he'd say in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 3, that we're baptized into his death. We shed his blood. Maybe you're here this morning, you'd like to know more about that. We'd love to study with you. Talk more about what the Bible has to say, not what I have to say. But what does God have to say in His Word? Maybe you're here this morning, but having become a Christian, your life has not been lived in pureness and holiness, and you're bringing shame upon that head, that husband Christ, and you need to come back to Him. you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way today, if there's any way we can help you, come right now together.